This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Welcome to Max and Murphy. That was my conversation with State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli about state finances amid the coronavirus crisis. You heard some sobering numbers, sobering remarks from Comptroller DiNapoli, a really important assessment that his office has put forward in terms of the tax revenue decline that might be coming to the state. And again, you know, a lot of this discussion with Comptroller DiNapoli is um, is not just data and academic. This, of course, is about tax revenue that might come to the state and then be used for essential services and programs. And this is everything from services that the state directly provides, funding that the state provides, like to education and for health care, and then, of course, contracting that the state does with nonprofits. And that leads us to the next conversation that we had amid the coronavirus uh, crisis and outbreak. And that is Jarrett's conversation with Jennifer March, the executive director of Citizens Committee for Children of New York, uh, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan child advocacy organization. And here is Jarrett's conversation with Jennifer March. So Jennifer, for guests who haven't heard you on this show or others before, talk about um, CCC, its mission and its work, just to give us some sense of the perspective you're coming from. So uh, I'm Jennifer March. I'm the executive director of Citizens Committee for Children of New York. We're a privately funded child advocacy organization based in New York City. And we do child advocacy work uh, in New York City. Uh, an attempt to influence the state, local, and sometimes federal decision-making to ensure that budget and legislative decisions help um, make certain that all children are healthy, housed, educated, and safe. So just talking about, uh, for a moment, let's talk about the crisis uh, kind of in the immediate sense. How has it affected your operations at CCC and those are the providers uh, that you speak with? So CCC has moved all of its work uh, to remote work. Um, so our advocacy campaigns um, will now be done through calling campaigns, email and social media. The dissemination of our reports, of course, will continue, but to be done via email blasts and social media and work with the media. And then our civic engagement work related to census outreach has all been converted to online platforms, webinars, um, social media, and emails to try to reach people in the safest way humanly possible and continue to ensure that the needs of children and families are really front and center um, at the different levels of government that are now making decisions. What impact does that shift have, uh, do you think, on, on how effective those efforts can be? I mean, especially when it regards the census which we've all been talking about for years as obviously being critical. What are your hopes or concerns about how that might play out since all these efforts have now had to go virtual and, and, and long distance? Um, I, I think we're very concerned. I mean, prior to the COVID-19 crisis, there was already concern around our ability to combat an undercount of children in the census. Um, because there's been such a climate of fear uh, around immigration policy. And while the census did not include an immigration 
question or a question on immigration status. Um, you know, we've been very concerned about uh, low-income and immigrant communities that have traditionally been undercounted, being fearful of filling out forms that they perceive come from government. Um, so there was a whole planning underway to try to work with direct service providers, libraries, community organizations to have like really more face-to-face -face outreach to try to have trusted messengers physically engage in community level meetings to try to improve the take up of the census. I think the fact that people are now, you know, home and safely social distancing and that there are a lot of nonprofits that are shuttered at the moment, um, you know, it makes it all the more important that we try to communicate through the channels that we have. Um, and while people are home, try to encourage people to take advantage of the ability to fill out census forms by phone, on computer, um, and go from there. So it is really concerning because it could negatively impact what was already a challenging situation. You mentioned pre-existing concerns, and that would be, I think, probably what we'd say too about the state budget. I mean, before we were even talking about coronavirus, I know you and others had concerns about how that state budget was going to affect the most vulnerable, particularly here in the city. And I would assume that those concerns haven't, um, haven't been uh, reassured by anything in recent days. So talk to us about the state budget, the threats you saw from the outset, and anything that you feel has come into the picture because of the coronavirus crisis. So when the state budget was uh, first proposed, the executive budget was first proposed, proposed by the governor in January, it included about 1.4 billion in cost shifts to the city of New York, um, reducing the state's share of Medicaid for New York City by over a billion, reducing city school aid by 132 million, reducing support for child welfare prevention by 21 million, reducing support for TANF assistance, which is public assistance, cash assistance, and money used for shelter by about 100 million. Uh, we're concerned that the, you know, the state and the state legislature may well have a budget agreement by this weekend, and it's not clear to us that they've addressed these cost shifts at all. Um, at a time when New York City and all counties across the state are really scrambling to try to get ahead of a massive public health crisis, it is really not the time to be cutting or cost shifting in the area of Medicaid or any of these other essential supports um, because we feel like if counties and the city of New York would have to take on these additional costs, it will result in fewer dollars for other basic essentials at a, at a real time of crisis. So it was problematic before the COVID-19 crisis ballooned uh, and it's particularly problematic now. One uh, impact of the crisis among many is, is gonna be uh, lower expectations at least and probably lower reality of state tax revenues the comptroller for the state tom dinapoli uh, who will be joined with later on the show uh issued a, a new assessment of that today and thinks the state's going to be about four billion dollars shy of where it expected um so there's there's going to be a squeeze there and as you mentioned also in the city um the conversation might go to priorities and i'm wondering what do you think now would you say needs to be protected most in the social service infrastructure, knowing 
the needs that existed before, obviously, but also the new challenges that this virus and all the economic impacts of it are going to pose. What would you say is where we really, what's, what's the core that we need to protect as people start talking about cutting things? Um, well, the first thing I would say before I get to that is that the federal stimulus package or a series of packages really must pass. The package that's before the Senate now would bring $4.5 billion in Medicaid relief to New York State. Uh, it expands, while well, not as much as we would like, it does expand sick leave, unemployment insurance. It provides greater flexibility with a wide array of nutrition assistance programs so that you don't actually have to render the service in person, but could have grab and go type services for school meals, for senior meals. Um, that, that package must go forward and there must be more discussion about additional investments at the state and county level to help people weather not only the healthcare crisis, but the economic storm. Um, I think at the state level, we should be talking about a complete moratorium on evictions at this time. And God willing, the home stability support bill that would create a statewide rent subsidy should be included in the state budget that's being negotiated now as we speak, because the combination of both stalling evictions, like preventing evictions, and having more robust access at the county level to rent subsidies will keep uh, people out of shelter. I think at the local level, the city has a long history of really doing effective outreach online and allowing for cash assistance and food stamps applications to be facilitated online, and that should happen. Um, there are robust, in terms of what's an essential service, I think the fact that the city of New York and counties across the state have now shut all like bars, restaurants, schools. Um, there is a robust debate underway on like what are the essential services in the nonprofit sector that should remain open. Um, I personally think we should be focused on food, shelter, uh, any kind of residential services that exist, as well as health, mental health care, and then services particularly for risk at-risk populations, domestic violence victims, um, child abuse neglect prevention services. And the challenge is how among the services that should remain open, how can you safely provide them at a time when, you know, the CDC is saying, no, you know, we don't want groups of people, 10 people or more uh, to be in a room together. So. I think that it's incumbent on like all levels of government to one, invest in the nonprofit sector, make sure that nonprofits that must close due to health and safety reasons still have revenue to pay their staff and meet their overhead and rent. And those that open, there should be an active process that people can determine how, with more flexibility, how to actually offer the service they must provide, but do it safely. And it's, it's quite complicated, but I think, I, I think it's essential that we think about how we both protect the nonprofit workers that must continue to work, as well as the people they're serving. What do you think of the city's response so far when it comes to vulnerable populations and the people who serve them? Uh, how would you evaluate it? Um, I think it's been challenging. I mean, I'm not a direct service provider, so I'm not speaking from the perspective of a pr provider. 
uh, but I think there's been some concern around um, really just, and, and this might well be because it's a crisis that's evolving and rapidly changing daily, but I think that the nonprofit community really wants clear direction uh, on, on who is open and closed and, and a clear commitment that, um, that, that the local, state, and federal level is going to support the sector and make sure that the sector has all of the resources it needs, not only to get through this immediate crisis and keep their staff employed, but to, that, that they may well need emergency infusion of cash to prepare for an influx of need once this crisis subsides. I know that one sector of the human services world that CCC is focused on among many is early childhood and, and the providers who support families in that way, whether it's um, subsidized daycare or childcare or uh, early education in the form of 3K and 4K. Um, that is obviously something people have focused on a lot, given that you know, with schools closed, the childcare needs that creates, the city is now going to set up uh, schools as childcare for uh, people who are uh, the children of first responders and other kind of essential government employees. Knowing what you know about the sector, what are you hoping the city keeps in mind as it sets up those services um, and, and thinks about the broader need for childcare and early childhood development as this crisis you know, wears on for perhaps many, many weeks? Well, I think what's interesting is in moments of crisis, we get to a place where we acknowledge pre-existing needs. <laughs> so I think that this crisis is really laying bare a bunch of things, that there are lots of people that work in the nonprofit and um, retail hospitality sector that, you know, live paycheck to paycheck, and that already prior to this crisis had a very hard time meeting the cost of housing, transportation, and year-round supports for their children, whether that's childcare, after school, and summer programming. And one would hope after this crisis subsides that we begin to have a conversation about how we actually support all New Yorkers and ensure that we have robust service delivery systems that help all people live, work, and raise their families here comfortably. Um, I think with respect to early care and education, I would hope that the directive that comes out of the city in the coming days clarifies uh, which programs should remain open or close. And I would hope that as they begin to think through how to have ch adequate child care resources available for first responders and healthcare workers, that they also include human service workers uh, who are required to stay open um, and that they engage the early education community in kind of mapping out what that strategy looks like. Um, you know, it's it on one level, I know it's a resource that is definitely needed. On the other hand, I'm concerned when you think about really how young children touch everything and everyone. <laughs> and so trying to make sure that those settings, uh, the, the few that might need to remain open uh, to serve this emergency personnel are, are safe and clean uh, is also a great concern for me. I thought it very interesting that um, CCC reported or released a report yesterday, or I should say Monday, um, talking about the broader context of uh, children and economic inequality in the city. 
you know, in the midst of the crisis, obviously that landscape is still relevant. And that's a series you're keeping track reports. This is just the latest one. But what would you say are the big takeaways from that? I know some indicators have improved over time, but you detected um, some warning signs even within that. Right. I think the challenge is, you know, the report basically gives an overview of how the city has ultimately, at least in terms of the data, recovered since the Great Recession, you know, the downturn that began in 2008. And we've seen progress over a whole host of things, you know, poverty declining, incomes increasing, um, you know, lower, uh, higher graduation rates, lower numbers of children in child welfare, an expanded early education system. But when you look more deeply at the data, what we see is Black, Latino, Asian communities, and immigrant communities really face profound disparities still. They have higher levels of child poverty, greater income instability, um, face higher rates of housing instability, um, have poorer education outcomes, and are disproportionately involved in you know, systems like child welfare and juvenile justice. So the report is really trying to draw attention to the fact that we really shouldn't take comfort in citywide data and that we should look more specifically at how communities are faring and really have a targeted approach to making sure that we have a robust array of, inf of infrastructures and social safety net supports in communities that are struggling, um, you know, so that we actually see uh, continued improvement overall, and in particular, combat the disparities that persist. Um, the report also draws attention to the fact that, you know, the last census a decade ago, um, we didn't count nearly 70,000 children under the age of five in New York City, and that's really problematic. We want to make sure that people count everyone in every household, including young children, so that we actually have the federal resources and representation we need to address these problems that the book rep reports. So we have a couple minutes left. I want to return to the main focus of the budget. You know, one factor this week is that the legislature is basically shut down. I'm sure there are conversations going on on the sidelines in the background, but you know, the, the state offices are closed. Legislators have largely closed their district offices. How are you kind of try and, and folks who are your allies trying to get your message through to legislators and the governor and to people who might be listening and want to chime in too, what advice would you give them in terms of lobbying for these budget priorities under these rather unique circumstances? Um, well, for us on CCC, there still is an active um, e-advocacy campaign that allows you to write state elected leaders and you can go to www.cccnewyork.org and take action and it would allow you to write the governor, state legislative leaders and your local assembly member and senator and tell them that these cost shifts should not stand and that we wanna make sure that the budget does everything in its power to address the needs of children and families. We're part of different campaigns that are actually activating Twitter storms as well to try to get home stability support included in the budget. And then we're part of a campaign called Healthy Minds, Healthy Kids that's really trying to emphasize the need to protect investments in children's behavioral health care. Um, we know that the supply uh, does not meet demand currently, and that at a time of uh, health care crisis, we need to make sure that people have access to behavioral health care as well. So calls 
online emails and Twitter are really what people are trying to activate now. Well, that's good advice, uh, and I'll let people get to it. And you back to your to your day job, Jennifer. Thanks very much, Dr. Jennifer March, the Executive Director of the Citizens Committee for Children of New York. Have a good day. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. So that was Jennifer March, the Executive Director of the Citizens Committee for Children, speaking with me yesterday on Tuesday, March 17th, about the coronavirus situation and the state budget, some of her concerns that predated the crisis. Before that, you heard Ben Max talking with State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Max and Murphy. I hope you stay well and stay hopeful. You can also check citylimits.org and gothamgazette.com for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis and all its implications. And until next week, have a great week in the greatest city in the world. 